0: Some days we hear that they're going to enforce the law as it is. It's, the Affordable Care Act is the law of the land. On other days, we see tweets where they want to let the Affordable Care Act fail.
1: That was Mila Kaufman, head of D.C. HealthLink, the Obamacare marketplace here in Washington, D.C., talking about the health care law's uncertain future. My name is Jason Millman, and I'm one of the health care editors at Politico. I'm filling in while your regular Pulse Check host Dan Diamond is working on a project during the congressional recess. I promise we will return him to you in good condition in a couple of weeks. So with Congress leaving for a two-week recess, it seemed like a good time to take stock of where things now stand with Obamacare. Republicans remain very divided on the repeal bill with no real timeline for action, while President Trump sways between wanting to move on from health care and not giving up this fight. But Obamacare insurance marketplaces are facing real deadlines. Starting this month, insurers in some states will have to start filing 2018 rates amid all this uncertainty about whether Congress will replace the law, or if the Trump administration will really let Obamacare fail, as the president keeps suggesting he might. If insurers believe there's too much uncertainty about what's going to happen with the Obamacare marketplaces, they could decide to pull back, and some already have. These decisions are being made right now, so my conversation with Mila felt especially timely this week. In the meantime, a bit of housekeeping. You can find Pulse Check at iTunes, Stitcher, and hopefully any other podcast app out there. If you want more healthcare news, sign up for our daily newsletter, Pulse, at politico.com. And finally, if you have any suggestions for guests or way to make the podcast better, you can contact my colleague Dan Diamond, at, ddiamond at politico.com and you can reach me at at politico.com. And with that, here's my conversation with Mila Kaufman. Just uh, for starters, I'm wondering, we're about two months out from the latest enrollment period in Obamacare. Uh, how quickly do you shift gears? Are you right now looking back at what happened during this last enrollment period? What does this mean going forward? Or, or at this point, are you guys just sprinting for the next enrollment uh, period which starts in November?
0: Uh, so we do everything, all of the above. Uh, we always like to learn lessons from each open enrollment period. We look at what worked, what we can do better, uh, and so we have done that. Uh, we've looked at all the events that we've uh, sponsored and, and had and uh, have some good data from uh, some of that review. Uh, The one thing I want to say about all of this talk in Washington uh, about repeal and repeal and replace or repeal and replace later, uh, a lot of that, I was afraid, would deter people from signing up this past open enrollment period, and what we found was... I think just the opposite. We had more new customers this past open enrollment period than ever before.
1: That's really interesting because around the country you saw that enrollment was down this year from last year. The first time there actually was a decrease in enrollment uh, about 12.7 million people in 2016 signed up, 12.2 million uh, in 2017, but you guys saw you guys saw an increase in DC.
0: We did. Currently we have Oh, a little over nineteen thousand paid customers, so active today. Okay, and we had over twenty thousand. Uh, I think probably twenty-one or twenty-two thousand people who made a health plan selection, but for whatever reason, did not pay their first month's premium or dropped at some point in time between then and now.
1: So obviously, DC is a pretty small marketplace, but there was an increase. What do you attribute that to? What have you learned?
0: Uh, So not data-driven, but just anecdotal, talking to some of our customers and our navigators who help people enroll and some brokers, uh, there was a lot of fear of not having an opportunity to enroll in affordable quality coverage. And so I think some people enrolled this year because They were afraid of not having access to health insurance in the future. Basically,
1: Trump coming in, repealing this thing. We don't know uh, what's going to happen.
0: Correct. Mm -hmm. So you have November
1: 1st was the start of the enrollment period. November 8th, there's the election that nobody really saw coming. Trump gets elected. How did that change your enrollment strategy? Was there like a break glass in case of Trump plan, you know? Uh, Was there any sort of shift into, you know, how you change your your outreach?
0: We really didn't have a shift in our approach. Uh, Thanks to the Affordable Care Act, more than 96%. Of DC residents now have health coverage, either private health insurance or public insurance called Medicaid. And so for us, the strategy has always been how do we find the hardest to reach remaining uninsured? And that's what we continued to focus on. Uh, we uh, held events uh, that worked uh, very well in prior years, and we tried a couple of new things to see if those will work in getting people to enroll, but our strategy really didn't change. The only thing we did different was we put a message on our website essentially saying that uh, the outcome of the election has no impact on people's ability to enroll in affordable health coverage. So that's really the only thing we did different.
1: How much were you getting that question from people, you know. there's a selection, there's repeal talk you know how how much were you hearing that from uh, from folks you were talking to
0: so most of the questions came from reporters <laughs> um, and are we annoying that way <laughs> uh, a few questions came from our customers, uh, but most people saw the opportunity to enroll or or shop for a new plan if they weren't happy with what they had before and and people enrolled
1: so stepping back a little bit uh. We're in the middle of a – at the start of a two-week congressional recess, Republicans left without really agreeing. No real timetable for what they might do on repeal. Uh, You have the president out there saying, well, maybe we'll let the law fail on its own, um, and then we'll come back and do something. Um, So, you know, the buzzword that we hear is uncertainty. What's that looking for you in day-to-day in your talks with uh, insurers, in your talks with providers, um, you know, how are you accounting for that as you're planning for the next enrollment period? Because there will be an enrollment period in November, um, so how how are you planning for that?
0: So um, all of this talk, the uncertainty that it's creating is, uh, is quite significant, and it's not only uncertainty for the insurers uh, who have to make decisions for next year, and you know well that insurance companies don't like uncertainty. They need predictability. They need to uh, know what the rules are so they can figure out whether they can do business in a particular state. Uh, So that uncertainty has been detrimental, and I'm just reading uh, news headlines two insurance companies are pulling out of Iowa. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if other insurance companies in other states made similar decisions because of the uncertainty. You can't stay in business as an insurance company with uncertainty. You need predictability. So that impact is devastating uh, on the insurance industry. And in some areas, people will lose access to private health insurance altogether. Not even through marketplaces, but there won't be any insurance company left if this uncertainty continues.
1: I think this is a really good time for this conversation um, because, yes, the next enrollment period is in November, but as you point out, insurers are planning this stuff right now. Uh, so in D.C., what, what is the deadline that they have to submit whether they're going to do plans for 2018? May 1st. May 1st, okay. And in a lot of states, it's coming up this month, it's coming up next month. I think June might be the latest deadline. So these are insurers, you know, insurers have to decide whether they're in or out for 2018. Uh, the marketplace in D.C. this year has two insurers, right, in the individual marketplace. There's CareFirst and Kaiser Permanente. Correct. What are your conversations like with these insurers right now? Um, do they, have they committed for 2018?
0: Uh, Well, anything could change. And um, uh, both Kaiser and CareFirst have plans to submit their rate filings and their form filings, their products for next year. But anything could change. It could be that the company submit uh, their, uh, proposals and Congress or the Trump administration take steps to really destabilize further the private market and insurance companies could change their mind, uh, or, you know, shift gears, decide to do something else. If, if it means they're going to be in the red, I'll give you two examples that I'm really worried about the Trump administration doing, uh, cost-sharing reductions. It seems like every day we hear, yes, they will pay. And then the next day we hear, no, they won't pay. Um, and I- just,
1: just to clarify, these are the subsidies that help people, uh, low-income people, middle-income, um, afford medical bills. It, the, the insurers have to pay these subsidies, um, but the government reimburses them right now. And right now, there's this big lawsuit in D.C. about whether uh, this can go forward. A court so far has ruled that These subsidies were illegally appropriated by the Obama administration, and now the Trump administration has to decide what what they're going to do about these subsidies.
0: That's correct. And this is really a lifeline for people with uh, moderate incomes, up to 250% of federal poverty level. Their deductibles are covered, their co-pays, co-insurance. And how it works is the insurance company essentially pays, not you, the consumer. And the insurance companies expect to get reimbursed. And these cost-sharing reductions are worth about $7 billion to the insurance industry. And not getting paid by the federal government, not getting reimbursed for that, could put some of the smaller insurers in the red and make them insolvent. Uh, so if so the
1: insurers said to you, um, Care First, Kaiser Permanente, have they said to you, if these subsidies are gone, then then we're gone?
0: Uh, so, uh not quite, mm-hmm. but they're very concerned, and I know insurance companies in other states are very concerned. Uh, the other big concern for all insurers is whether or not the Trump administration will enforce the individual responsibility requirement, otherwise
1: known as the individual as mandate, mand- which is the nastier version
0: of that. Correct, uh, and and so there've been mixed messages out of the Trump administration, and when you build your rates, you make certain assumptions that. That a certain number of healthy people will enroll because there is that tax penalty if they don't enroll. So if the Trump administration decides not to enforce that, it really becomes very hard to set premiums for next year.
1: There's a big discussion, at least uh, I'm sure everywhere in healthcare, but within Politico, you know, what does the Trump administration want to do? Because he he swings from one day saying, you know, we're going to let this law fail. Uh, at the same time, they have this market stabilization rule out there um, i'm i 'm curious you know on this stabilization rule, it does a few things uh, it shortens the enrollment period uh, it tightens these special enrollments for people who try to sign up outside the standard enrollment window uh, It makes it harder to enroll if you might have some outstanding premium payments uh, in your view, does this rule help shore up the marketplaces? Does it erase? Um, to any extent, any of this uncertainty?
0: It would do just the opposite. I call it the market destabilization rule. I can give you an example, just looking at some of our data. And you mentioned that under the proposed rule, uh, uh, consumers would have to pay back premiums if they lost their coverage in the prior year because they didn't pay their premiums. Uh, And so we were looking at our data. Uh, for consumers who were uh, who lost their coverage due to termination of coverage because they didn't pay their premiums well 42 percent of those people are ages 26 to 34 years old
1: customers though. the
0: healthy and young customers can you imagine if I have to say 20 to a 26 year old you can't enroll during open enrollment because you owe your insurance company hundreds or maybe thousands of dollars in premiums and you have to essentially go uninsured 26-year-olds most of the time don't have thousands of dollars in their bank account to pay back an insurance company for coverage they actually didn't have because it was terminated. Uh, and so those kinds of things have, uh, will completely destroy the market here, given our age demographic and how many healthy people we have participating when you make it harder for people to enroll, generally, the impact is if you're healthy and young, you're not going to jump through new hoops to get enrolled. If you're sick and you, and you need that coverage, you're going to do whatever it takes to get enrolled. So at the end of the day, the risk pool you'll end up with will be older and sicker because you'll make it very hard for young people who are healthy to get enrolled. So as a
1: state-run marketplace, you're one of about, I think, 13 states that um, are running their own marketplaces. Um, the rest are deferring to healthcare.gov, the federal exchange. Um, are you at all, could you at all be insulated by anything that the Trump administration might do? Um, you know, say, say he guts the mandate. Are there discussions in D.C. Um, even about how do we retain some of the uh, Obamacare's features, even if the federal government uh, guts them? Uh,
0: Yes, so we are locally operated, locally managed, and that does give us a level of protection that people in states that rely on the federal marketplace may not have, and certainly in some cases don't have. Uh, We have a a group of stakeholders we've been working with, very diverse, includes a health plan, brokers, physician groups, hospitals, consumer advocates, uh, very diverse. And we've been having discussions about what can we do here locally to make sure that D.C. residents and businesses don't lose their health care and the kinds of protections we would need to put in locally in case something happens at the federal level. Uh, and we plan to come up with some policy interventions to propose to local lawmakers to consider. We are waiting to see what the federal regulations look like. And certainly up until two weeks ago, we were also waiting to see what the federal legislative process would uh, would yield. Um, We know that we have to go back and fix some of the consumer protections that exist. Just like with any federal law, uh, when states pass um, similar protections, you go back every year and you tweak for technical Mm. reasons. But everything is on the table. We want to make sure that our uh, very robust and healthy private market works. We want to make sure that businesses and individuals don't lose their health care. And there's a lot of commitment from local policymakers, including our mayor, to make sure that D.C. residents are protected.
1: Are you talking with other states, too, uh, other Obamacare-friendly states that, uh, you know, set up their own marketplaces about uh, how they're reacting, uh, what what their strategy is, uh, whether they're looking at, you know, form of state subsidy? I'm wondering what sort of uh, uh, collaboration there might be among these states.
0: Yes, we we talk to colleagues uh, in other states all the time, including uh, uh, Republican-led states with state-based marketplaces, and we share ideas. Certainly, um, everything is on the table. Local dollars to help stabilize risk pools. Here, uh, I forgot to mention that. Uh, there's discussion about uh, what to do with uh, with some surplus revenue, and, uh, and uh, Chairman Gray of the Health Committee locally uh, mentioned that he would like to set aside up to $150 million in case Medicaid uh, expansion is impacted by Congress, as well as to help uh, people afford private coverage. So everything is on the table, including uh, financial help for people. People.
1: What are your interactions like these days with HHS? I'm curious because it's obviously a very different administration with a very different outview on uh, the healthcare law. So, I mean, are they are they cooperative? Uh, is there you know do you notice any kind of difference with this changeover?
0: Uh, so, um, I have to applaud the the career people in the federal government. For them, it's business as usual and as long as they're allowed to continue to work with states uh that's what they've done we have regular check-ins uh, all the state-based marketplaces have a call with uh, with sisaio at cms on a regular basis uh, every couple of weeks where we share information they share information with us uh so for us we haven't felt um a drastic change uh But we'll see. In the past, the Obama administration really paid attention to comments and feedback to regulations from states. We'll see if the Trump administration is as uh, focused and as supportive of state-based efforts as as the Obama administration was.
1: So, I mean, if if Trump wants to let the law fail, you have the situation in Iowa where, you know, insurers are pulling out uh, two insurers pulled out last week. Uh, others say they might pull back because they don't know what's going to happen with the marketplaces. How active should the Trump administration be to make sure in these counties um, or even states where there might not be an insurance plan, uh, how active should they be to, to, to make sure that there's going to be an option? Or could they just look at that state and say, Obamacare is failing. We got we to gotta fix this now. We got to repeal it.
0: It's hard to say what the policy is from the Trump administration, because we're getting such mixed messages on uh, some days we hear that they're going to enforce the law as it is. It's the Affordable Care Act is the law of the land. On other days, we hear or we see tweets where uh, uh, they want to let the Affordable Care Act fail. And... um, to me, it's really inhumane uh, to, under your watch, let health care reform fail, because it's a matter of life and death for some people. If there's no private health insurance for them, that means they're not going to be able to afford A hospital stay out of pocket hundreds of thousands or maybe even a million dollars depending on the condition they may have that's not something most Americans can afford we need private health insurance to help us stay alive and to access medical care so I think it's inhumane to uh, to let the law fail and I also think it's a lack of leadership Uh, with that said uh, they can do simple things to stabilize the law even if they don't want to expand the law they can still take steps to stabilize it what would those steps be pay cost sharing reductions enforce the individual mandate uh, don't do regulations that in some states will destabilize insurance markets stop talking about repeal and replace that is very destabilizing changing changing gears a little bit I want to talk about a little bit
1: about the experience in uh, in the DC marketplace um, and it is the congressional exchange so I imagine uh, uh, podcast listeners might be particularly interested in how things are going here um, so you you have two insurers offering that that have been offering coverage on the individual marketplace it started with for,
0: right. Um, so on the small group side, we have three United companies, two Aetna companies. We have Kaiser and we have CareFirst. And we offer 151 different products uh, to small businesses. Uh, and, uh, we started with um, two United companies, and uh, I think it was last year or the year before another United company came in. So on the small group side, we've, we've grown the number of companies we offer products to from
1: and the individual side
0: and on the individual side the first year etna participated um, it uh, their their products were priced. Higher than Care First and Kaiser. And so they weren't really able to compete the way they wanted to. Uh, in the first year, I think they had 400 customers. And you can't support a whole product line with 400 customers. So they made a business decision to not uh, offer products on the individual side. Now they're still offering products on the group side. They're, we have two Aetna companies on the group side.
1: Um, I guess, how much give and take is there? Uh, with other companies who, who might be looking at this market?
0: So the, we have the entire individual market. Everything is uh, sold through DC HealthLink. where are the sole distribution channel. So there's nothing outside of the marketplace mm-hmm. uh, in DC, which is different um, than in other states. Uh, our individual market is about 19,000 people. It's very hard to attract insurance companies to compete uh, for a few thousand perhaps covered lives it's a huge investment of capital for insurance companies to come in into a market they have to build networks uh, they have to develop uh, broker relationships um, and and perhaps even deploy new administrative systems and so it's, it's expensive so unless you have lots of potential customers, it's very hard, the cost benefit analysis, I would love to see other insurance companies come in. Uh, and so we, we when there's interest, we work with insurance companies, we work with the insurance regulators here to make sure that we can eliminate any uh, administrative hurdles that insurance companies may have. And um, But I don't see um, on the horizon that insurance companies will come in into such a small individual market. On the small group side, uh, we currently have about 67,000 people covered through small businesses here. About 11,000 of them are are congressional clients, uh, uh, people who work on the Hill, as well as district offices. Um, But our small group market is growing. We anticipate uh, that sometime By the end of the summer, we'll probably have between 75,000 and 80,000 covered lives altogether. So there's a lot of interest by insurance companies in staying in the market and competing. We also have very good demographics. Both our individual market and small group market has a significant portion of younger people, the 26 to 34-year-olds, which is really important because if you don't have a healthy mix of older and younger people. If you just have older people, the chances are your risk pool is a lot more expensive because as we age, we all have more medical needs. Right.
1: I think a lot of States would be jealous maybe, to have DC's demographics, um, definitely younger and more millennial uh, customers. Uh,
0: well, and, I don't know uh, if you've been to any of our events, but we do a lot of targeted events during open enrollment, uh, and we go where younger people are. So we go to bars and nightclubs, uh, at 2 a.m., dinner at Denny's. So we we go where young people hang out, and that's been part of our success story. 2 a.m. is a little
1: late for me these days, uh, but I'll take your word for it. Um, I mean, that's that that's the that's been the problem though with the laws in other states that they haven't uh, been able to attract these younger customers, um, and the, you know the effect is higher premiums uh, and, basically.
0: And so I have a solution for that. For a lot of our twenty-some year olds, it's all about affordability. Even when, for instance, here for a hundred dollars a month, you can get a bronze policy, real coverage um, that really protects you, but that's still unaffordable for many young people. So the way to uh, attract more younger people everywhere is to expand APTC, the premium reductions that people qualify for.
1: The, uh, the tax credits. The tax credits. Um, so do you have a sense of what rate increases are going to look like for 2018, uh, assuming that Trump decides that we're going to keep this law in place, we're going to do the cost sharing subsidies, we're going to force the mandate. Uh, ideally, do you have a sense of uh, what the target rate increase would be?
0: Um, I wish I did. I don't. Uh, May 1st, we expect to see all the rate filings for individual and small group market. I can tell you last year on the small group side, uh, we had a um, all all of our insurance companies on the small group side had many products that they lowered their rates for for example aetna had one product they lowered the rates by 19% to compete for small businesses united had a bunch of products 15% rate decreases all of them care first uh, kaiser all of them decreased rates to compete um uh, and on the individual side, uh, some products the the prices uh, became a lot higher than I would have liked to see. Um, but given all of this uncertainty, uh, even if there's a strong commitment and a solid commitment to pay the cost sharing reductions and enforce the individual responsibility requirement, there's still a lot of uncertainty because of the discourse of repeal and replace and um, and so uh, it uh, um, we'll see what happens on May 1st, but I do fear that uh, the uncertainty will be reflected in higher than necessary rates.
1: There have been uh, some analyses that came out recently, and I guess over the past couple months, suggesting that uh, 2016, in terms of uh, higher rate increases, might have been a one-time correction, uh, you know, that these plans were uh, originally underpriced, um, and that under normal course of business, they might uh, be on a more normal trajectory going forward, uh, aside from what's happening politically. Uh, do you have any reason to to see that that might be the case in in d c as well that uh, you know these larger increases than you might have liked uh, this past year that that's not going to become the norm
0: yeah. I- I th- yes. Um, I, I think there is definitely, um, uh, those are valid assumptions that, you know, after a couple of years, you have a, a market correction. Uh, in the first couple of years, carriers really don't know what their individual risk pool uh, will settle at, because there's still a lot of turnover lots of unknowns um, especially in most states when you move from underwritten markets to guaranteed access you have to take everyone you can't play games anymore in, in how what kind of uh, benefits you provide um, and everyone has to be community rated so you can't charge people higher rates because of their health needs um, and so after a couple of years of seeing what their risk pools uh, look like they can be in, insurance companies can be in a better position to, to predict future claims based on the risk mix of how what their risk pool looks like. And certainly carriers now have more experience uh, with uh, risk adjustment and some of the other stabilization mechanisms under the Affordable Care Act to empower them to make more informed decisions. So I, I think it's very fair to say there had to be a one-time market correction. Now, with that said, each state is different. Uh, uh, here in DC, I was, um, uh, uh, less than happy with some of the price increases, mostly because we have such a young risk pool and we work very hard to make sure the risk pool has a, a good mix of younger and older people. Uh, and so I was disappointed to see that. So I'm hoping next year's rates, uh, will be, uh, better, but that will depend on the Trump administration.
1: Uh, we're coming to the end here. Uh, you know, I'm wondering, we just wrapped up the fourth enrollment season. Uh, what have you learned that you wish you knew in the in the first enrollment season, uh, besides maybe better website coding, which was a problem for everyone, I guess? Uh,
0: so, well, we completely revamped our website. We uh, went from traditional to what they call open source, agile, cloud-based. We actually were recognized by, by Amazon Web Services. Um, we received Best uh, Practices in Innovation Award, the only state-based marketplace to get recognized in the IT space. <laughs> and we were ranked number one for our website for consumer decision support tools by uh, Clear Choices.
1: So what, what's what's improved then?
0: Um, so uh, the consumer decision support tools that we've added uh, have made a big difference. So things like if you uh, take various medications formularies are very complicated so now now all you have to do is go on our website and you can put in uh, up to 10 different medications you're taking the exact dosage everything and our website tells you in a matter of seconds how your medications are covered by all of the health plans and that makes you a more empowered consumer to make better decisions on which health plan is best for you so i wish we had those tools early on um uh, because we could have helped more uh, customers uh, by empowering them to make better choices. Do
1: you do you get a get a sense? Do you know whether people are in plans better suited for them as, as a result, or are people happier with their coverage? Um, is there any way to measure, you know, how exactly uh, these sorts of things are working?
0: Um, so we haven't. Uh, uh, that's a great question. We have to look at the back end and figure out whether people actually made the right decision based on the claims they had in the prior year. For example, that's something uh, that's quite complicated and it will take us a while to figure out. But at the front end, um, I've talked to customers who use who used to spend hours making spreadsheets for themselves just trying to compare benefits to make a halfway informed decision? Now we have a website that does that for them. So at the front end, when you're making the decision, if you're not working with a broker uh, and you're making the decision by yourself, it's really helpful to have those tools. Uh, it's like, you know, when you go buy a car, there's a lot of information about different cars, how they perform, different safety ratings. Well, before for insurance, for health insurance, there was nothing like that. And now thanks to the Affordable Care Act and state-based marketplaces, you have that at the front end to help you make a better decision.
1: It's uh, Let's say it's November 2018. We're a couple days out from the midterm election. Is there an Obamacare enrollment period starting uh, at the beginning of the month? What do you think?
0: Uh, Well, absolutely, at least here in D.C. We love Obamacare. We love the fact that Affordable Care Act has let us reach almost near universal coverage, more than 96% of our population having coverage. So, And uh, the policymakers locally here, starting with the mayor and the whole council, uh, completely um, dedicated to improving things for residents and businesses here. So I see an open enrollment period here. And I see ways that coverage has become more affordable for residents and small businesses.
1: Okay, well, I will call you on November 1st, 2018. We'll see, see where we are. And uh, uh, thank you very much for your time.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And that's it for Pulse Check. My thanks to Mila Kaufman for sitting down with me and to Bridget Mulcahy for producing this podcast. And thanks to Dan Diamond for letting me commandeer this for a little bit. We'll see you soon.